the Postmodern Art Podcast, the podcast dedicated to giving artists who are wanting the world over the platform they deserve. I am your host, Nathan Raglan, and as we kick off October and start this month of Halloween and horror, let's sink our teeth into today's conversation, shall we? Today's guest is Amber Avara, a storyboard artist who's worked along the likes of Warner Brothers and Titmouse, as well as developing her own incredible pilot, Nocturne. This was a conversation that I have been dying to get a chance to do. Uh, Amber was someone that came under my radar for something completely different, but seeing the stuff that she's had a hand in and the stuff that she's developing on her own, I knew I needed her on this podcast as soon as possible. And I was so glad we got the opportunity to do this. If you enjoyed the conversation today with Amber, make sure you support her with all the links down in the description below, especially when it comes to stuff involving Nocturne. Trust me, whenever we discuss this stuff, you guys are going to love it. If you enjoy the podcast, make sure you like, share, subscribe, or follow whatever audio streaming platform you prefer. Leave five stars wherever you can. I see that stuff and I absolutely love it. If you want to go a little bit further with that support, maybe you can dress up this Halloween as a fan of the Postmodern Art Podcast by going to the merch shop at pmap.creator-spring.com. There you can find some outstanding designs done by some wonderful artists to provide some incredible streetwear for you to rep wherever you go. And hey, if you just want a place to just discuss the podcast or the guests that have been on here, or be a part of an incredible growing community, maybe you should be a part of the Postmodern Art Podcast Discord server, The Artist Sanctuary. We've already developed a wonderful group there so far, the interactions they've had have been wonderful, and hopefully we can grow it a lot more by you joining today. But now, without further ado, please enjoy the Postmodern Art Podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, oh, no problem. I, I, let me know if I need to do anything else to set up. I'm not sure. I just have my house is a mess. I apologize. <laughs> you are more than perfect right off the bat. You're you're doing you're good with the setup. I appreciate using the webcam and stuff like that because you know with guests they could choose to have it on or off or whatnot. I am not too picky. As long as I can hear you, I'm good. That's all I care oh, okay. about. <laughs> I like dressing up for things, so I don't mind showing off. I'm a fashionista. you know what that is wonderful i do appreciate the the get up and also even some of the background because i'll let you know right now this episode is going to be like the first one of october so i really want to kick off kind of the yeah kick off the spooky month more than anything there you go (laughs) i you know i had a sneaking suspicion considering the stuff that you're trying to have a hand in and the things you're developing or whatnot i figured you had something some sort of affinity to you know spooky stuff yeah yeah, I don't like the way me and my, my friends and my boyfriend call me. I'm a Barbie goth, so I do cute goth stuff. Uh, I was gonna say, certain fact that you're based out in California, you're a Malibu bar- Barbie goth. <laughs> exactly, I'm a Malibu Barbie goth. It, it, goth, exactly. Oh my god, I actually was um, recently in Australia because my partner lives in Australia, and I was okay. there for like a month. And um, when I was there, like obviously, I was like stick, sticking out because I had an American accent in Australia, and they all knew I was from California. <laughs> They were like, yeah, we can tell. And I was like, I don't say like that much. <laughs> I don't say like, you know, like that stuff, you know, going down. Like, do you, what do you guys have for like the 405 down here? I don't say stuff like that. Down here. I, I, I get it. <laughs> Wait, where are you located? I, I'm located in Georgia on the complete opposite. Oh, end. oh okay. <laughs> yeah. Mm, it's nice there too, though. Oh, it really is. It, it, it yeah. is when it's not super hot and humid. But past that, it's good. Oh, sure. <laughs> I mean, it's been getting humid here too because I guess there was like a hurricane uh, down in uh, San Diego or something. I don't know what's going on with that. We don't normally get hurricanes over here, but 
there's something going on with that. And it's been really humid here lately, like an oven. And then we had the heat wave, but the heat wave went away. So it's cooler now, at least. I mean, yeah, fair enough. I can't complain on your guys. It's been really, like, cooling down a lot for here. I'm starting to, th- I, like, I don't know if fall is actually starting or if we're getting what I like to call faux fall, where it's, like, you sure. know, like, the little hints of it, like, cooler temperatures and whatnot, and then we're just going to get, like, a week of, like, intense heat before fall actually starts. Oh, that's how it always is, though. It's, like, <laughs> you get, like, the hint of it. Like, it's, like, when the pumpkin spice latte comes out, it's, like, okay, everything starts getting cool, and then, bam, you get one more week of summer, and it's, like, bad. It's a bad week of summer. And then it's really fall. Yep. That's in like October. <laughs> yep. Yep. And it's yeah. one of those like, I'm a person that, uh, I- I'll be honest, I'm a bigger kind of person, so I don't appreciate the heat in the first place. So. <laughs> yeah. so there you go. It's one of those, anytime I can get just like cooler temperatures, I am a happy person. <laughs> Oh yeah, I hear you. I'm the same. Like, I am really happy that my uh, electricity is included in my apartment because I run that AC like it's like it, I mean, it literally is free for me. So I run it like it's nothing. Yeah, you know what? Fair enough. Fair enough. I was gonna say I have my little like AC unit that's like right here. So I've been running that like crazy more than anything else. Luckily, I don't pay rent or anything like that because I'm living with my parents. But you know, they do give the you know, hey, we're you know, we're paying X amount. You might want to cut it off here and there. I'm like, ah, fine. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, hey, if it works, it works. I mean, I think it's summer's the worst either way because I feel like at least in the winter you can like uh, like bundle up, but you can't do anything in the summer but just try to run lots of fans. Thank you. you Thank you. It's like, you know, people like, you know, in fall, they're like, oh, it's super cold. Like, why do I have to deal with this? I'm like, put on another layer or something like that. You'll live. It's not that hard. Like, you put like three shirts on and you're good to go. Yeah. Meanwhile, like, you know, whenever it's super hot for me, there's only so many clothes I could take off before it's, like, yeah. okay, uh, understandable, all right? Right. No, I hear you. I hear you. I'm on your side. I'm a fall and winter girl, so. There you go. There you go. I live uh, in the wrong state, but. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? I mean, whatever, again, no matter where it is, whatever works for you, right? I mean. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, all right. Let's see where it was. I get. Let me get the questions ready. Sorry, I'm a really chatty person, so I'll probably get you off topic. (laughs) Never apologize for that. I appreciate (laughs) chatting and rambling, and this is a podcast. This could be as long or as short as you want it to be. All right. (laughs) I'm a chatterbox, so you might have to edit it. Well, let me put it like this. The the longest episode I've ever had of this podcast was two and a half hours long, all right? Oh, wow. Yeah, because this well, person... I'll this- try to keep you not that busy. I, <laughs> I could. You get me started on some topics, I won't shut up. That's oh, I can, ma- I can imagine, especially with some of the stuff I did want to talk about, or, you know, mainly some of the stuff that you're invested in, the stuff that you're developing or whatn't. I expect yeah. you to be going off, all right? I, I, oh, I good. Okay, well, I'm just fair warning in advance. <laughs> Okay, Amber, before we really get going, I must ask the icebreaker question of the podcast, if I may. Let's say you get to go to a desert island on your own accord. It's just you, alone with your thoughts. You get to kick back, relax, breathe. Get to truly enjoy yourself just for a little bit. To help make sure you don't go completely insane on this island, you can bring one piece of media or one piece of art with you to help with whatever vibe you want to go with. If given this opportunity, what would that one piece be? When you say one piece of art or media, do you mean like a series? Or it, like... it could be it could be a series, a movie, video game, album, collection, whatever you consider media or art. That's in the realm of possibility. Hmm. I'm thinking because, like, on one hand, like 
I feel like this is a question that you're trying to ask me to like get into my brain on like my favorite things. And it's like, realistically, I should probably bring something with a lot of replay value, right? Like a game, right. like a puzzle game or something like to keep me sane. But mm-hmm. That's not a very fun answer, right? I'm like, oh yeah, I'll just bring like Wudoku, like Sudoku games because then I won't get bored. But I don't really want to say that. That's boring, right? Um, I mean, if it was like a piece of media, I would probably, my, my favorite series of all time, I tweeted about all the time, is like Higurashi and Umineko. Uh, okay. They're like old visual novels that they turned into animes. I've been obsessed with them since I was like 10, honestly. Like they made such an impact on me as an artist. And like, they're very long too, is the good thing. They're like hundreds and hundreds of hours of content. And they've got like one of the best game soundtracks I've ever heard. So like there if I go. was on this island and I had access to a laptop that could play Umineko music, I mean, that would be okay because the music's not I mean, again, like, I say deserted, but again, we're going to make sure to accommodate you more than anything else so you can enjoy it to the highest quality. So we'll give you, like, the big oh, screen okay. TV so surround sound like, system. Like, okay. I, in that case, I do pick Umineko because I love that story very much. And I I just, I don't know, it means a lot to me. And um, I've, like, already replayed it, like, ten times in my life. And I've never gotten bored of it. Like, I just love <laughs> it. It's, it's really so important to me. And, like, again, like, I would just, like, if that's all I had, I would just leave the game on in the background to listen to the music. Oh, there <laughs> you mean? go. They, I mean, I, yeah. especially, like, I don't think, like, especially in the internet community is definitely a lot more beloved. But just, like, in general, like, game soundtracks just in general, like, they could really, like, make or break a person. Like, they, they are some of the most, like, unique and entertaining things out there that, like, does not get a lot of love. I, which is kind of the purpose, like kind of engaging the audience or whatnot. So yeah, I could totally get that. Yeah. I actually think music is like one of the most important, like, mm, I mean, I could get on a whole tangent on that, so I, I'll spare you, but <laughs> I, I do feel like music is underutilized in a lot of media, like, especially in like film and, and animation, because like, I feel like when you're creating an experience, whether it's like a game or it's a movie or it's a series, like you're going for full immersion and mm-hmm. music is a part of that immersion. Do you know what I mean? So like you want the music to like strike the right mood to like hit the right beats. And like, have you ever like watched a movie or played a game where like the musical cues like hit just right at a moment yes. that's like really emotional and like you feel goosebumps everywhere. Like that like adds so much immersion to a person's experience. And I feel like a lot of series like don't really take that into mind and just like, okay, get something that sounds right. Get something that like just works. Do you know what I mean? But like working, and like really pushing it and like getting that immersion, I think are different experiences. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. But nevertheless, yeah. your answer, that's what you're going with when you're bringing on the salad. You're locking that in. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, I, uh, my second choice would be Stardew Valley, but that's just because I also put like 500 hours into that game. <laughs> <laughs> I One mean, or the other, Stardew Valley or Umineko. Uh, Umineko is my artsy answer. Stardew is my realistic answer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, with either or, you can probably test this. Plenty of replay value so you can get, like, something to do on this island anyway. So there you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. But nevertheless, if that's the case, I cannot think of a better way to start the Postmodern Art Podcast. Welcome, everyone. I am your host, Nathan Ragland. Uh, feel free to like, share, subscribe, or follow whatever audio streaming platform you prefer. You can support the podcast on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash PMAP. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PostModArtPod for future updates and guest announcements, including today's guest. <clears throat> she is a storyboard artist who has worked for Warner Brothers and Titmouse, among others, with her own incredible pilot in development in Nocturne. Welcome to the podcast, Ember Avara! Thank you for having me. I love the energy already. It's very excited. Now I'm excited. Well, trust me, the energy that you're giving to me, I'm just trying to re- reciprocate that back to you because you're bringing it <laughs> a lot. We're just going to keep going higher and higher until we're like screaming manic at each other. Like, yes! <laughs> That's where we're going to end. 
<laughs> yes, do incredible stuff. Yes, it'd be like, what was it? Uh, the Tom Cruise jumping on the couch of uh, the Oprah show or whatnot. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. I, I mean, let's go there if that's where it goes, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we really jump to that point just yet, I want to go back just a little bit when it comes to you and your art. More than anything else, I want to sure. know more or less the origin story of Amber. What got you interested in art and animation in the first place? Okay, so, hmm. I, I'll... I'll answer these questions very candidly and openly. Okay. Um, if at any point, like off the record, if you want to say like, this is too heavy, let me know. Cause I do have kind of a like rags to successes type of story. Okay. So just let me know. I don't mind speaking about it openly, but let me know if it's too dark for your podcast. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, so like in regards to me starting in art, actually the interesting thing is um, when I was a kid, like I actually started drawing before I even knew how to do anything else. Like before I knew how to talk, before I knew how to write, um, one of the first memories that I have is that I used to uh, draw a little like uh, crayon comics of like Mario and Sonic, uh, like saving the princess, like on line <laughs> paper. I must have been in like preschool or kindergarten and I didn't know how to write yet. So I would ask my mom to write the words for me because I didn't know how to write the words. <laughs> and I was just drawing like little sequential, you know, comics of, you know, video game characters that I like. Um, and yeah, so I drew like always as a child, like I was that like stereotypical kid who was like, you know, nose down drawing Sonic fan art, drawing, you know, just junk. Um, I got really into anime when I was about like 10 years old, I would say. Like, I mean, I was always into it. Like I was always into like Pokemon and like that kind of stuff, but like becoming aware that like anime was a thing and like getting into it. Like, I think I was about 10 and my first interest was like Full Metal Alchemist. And I remember um, like watching like the specifically, like I think it's the fourth, opening is it rewrite um okay a full metal alchemist and watching like the really cool sakuga style animation of like the fighting and like the like really cool camera work and i was like god i really want to make that like that's <laughs> what i want to make like i want to do that and so i instantly like i mean this was like the early 2000s so i was like googling like how to draw anime and there was like all these shitty like tutorials online and <laughs> i was just trying to like follow them and drawing on lined paper do you know what i mean um and then as I got a little bit older, when I turned like 13 or 14, I got my first drawing tablet. And that's when I guess I started um, like taking it a little bit more seriously. And okay. I started getting involved in like, like I did a lot of like creative projects at first for fandoms. Like I was making an Ace Attorney fan game at one point. Um, oh, nice. It didn't go anywhere because I was like a <laughs> child. I didn't know what I was doing, but I was doing that. And then I got really involved in like Utah and Vocaloid. Um, which I was mentioning earlier, which um, basically like is like a singing program. And like Utah is like the freeware version of mm -hmm. Opaloid. Um, and so you can record your own voices and like make your own characters for free and like make songs with them. And that's when I started taking art really seriously because I don't know why, but my characters became like pretty popular um, in that community. And um, so like for a few years, like I was making like animations and original songs and games with my characters and my art just kept improving because I was doing lots of creative and challenging things okay. while also being surrounded by other artists who could help me grow. Um, yeah. So then after that, I just decided I want to go to art school. Um, I am from New Mexico, so I had to uh, like save money, do you know what I mean? Um, to end up going to uh, California for art school. I am estranged from my family for personal reasons. Mm -hmm. um, so I've been supporting myself since I was 18. So I oh, had wow. to like, you know, save money. I had to work. I had to, you know, I worked as a waitress for like uh, two years, like six, uh, six days a week, 12 hour days to save money to move to California to go to art school. And then long story short, here I am. <laughs> there you go. That's quite the, it's quite the story. If I do say so myself, like it, it's, it's, Sorry if I was no. winded. <laughs> Again, never apologize. This is a podcast. Long-winded is the name of the game, all right? Uh, 
but I, I appreciate like all the different influences and how it more or less became like an culmination of some of the art that really inspired you more than anything else. I, I, you correct me if I'm wrong. I can imagine like, especially really being immersed in the internet aspect of it. Whenever you got that first like drawing tablet or whatnot and really got like into that community, like the Vocaloid community, was that more or less the moment when it went from just like a general love to a passion of wanting to make it your career? Um, well, I think I decided I wanted to be an animator as a career when I was 10, like okay. when I was like interested. But I do think that, because, um, okay, so like I grew up in New Mexico, like I said, in a very small town where like I was, I was like the only artist that I knew. I have like one best friend who I'm still best friends with today who also drew, but she didn't want to be like a career artist or anything. She okay. just did it like it's a hobby. Do you know what I mean? So like, it, I think when you're in that kind of space and like you're keeping to yourself and your community, it really kind of limits your idea of like what's actually available and what's possible. Because like, my initial idea was I would just go to like state university in New Mexico, which by the way, doesn't have, at least when I was there, didn't have any animation programs. It didn't even have a figure drawing class. Oh, wow. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, nothing. So like, I, I didn't really know what my scope was, I guess, but when I started getting involved in online communities and like started getting a lot of eyes on my work and like lots of people like at different ages, like professionals were my friends, like professionals working in the industry were my friend. Um, and also like just casual artists, like casual, well, not, I don't want to say casual, like people who make made their own way and make money for themselves online were right. also my friends. And I started to realize like, okay, so like, this is the world outside of New Mexico. And this is actually like what the art industry kind of looks like. So it kind of, I guess, reshaped what I realized was possible and like what, not only what was possible, but also how much better I needed to become. Okay. You know what I mean? Like how much more I needed to grow. No, that's fair. That's valid. I mean, like, it, the internet, like, definitely does a great job, especially nowadays, like, really, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Really expanding your view on what is actually out there and stuff. I know that, like, for me personally, like, I was someone in a similar situation because I'm in a part of Georgia to where it's, like, you know, I'm basically out in the country. Like, I'm, you know, it's one of those places where if you weren't in the FFA, the Future Farmers of America, you were one of the weird ones. I was one of the yeah, weird yeah, ones. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, no, it was. It took me actually going to college or like looking around at different colleges and seeing like the possibilities that were out there and visiting some of these campuses or whatnot before I truly realized like what I wanted to do, which is something in like right. the entertainment, you know, mass media, film, you know, that general area. Like I went to school for filmmaking and such. So like again, oh, nice. yeah. yeah. So I like I totally get where you're coming from. Like having kind of I not saying like a closed minded view, but having sort of a limited view. Yeah, and not, naive. naive is the word I would naive. say. Naive. There you go. Yeah. Fair mm -hmm. enough. Like having that naive view before, like really getting your eyes open to like, especially the yeah. community out there. And I, I can only really imagine like, especially that young, like knowing some of the professionals that were out there more than anything else, like personally, yeah. that must've been a game changer more than anything else. I was really like kind of embarrassing to be honest, because like, I, I remember when I was younger and I was meeting some of these people who were like professional artists, I mm -hmm. was like, probably too clingy on them like I was like I wanted to know everything I wanted to be their best friend because I wanted to know everything do you know what I mean so I probably annoyed them more than I you know but I mean everybody was always really patient with me and um I mean of course like at that time when I was in those online communities I did like because like when you have a lot of like followers and views on your stuff obviously you'll get haters and stuff too and that was a big part of my childhood too was like dealing with like some pretty severe at, at times online harassment. Oh, wow. um, yeah, like, I mean, I can tell you stories about that if you want to hear them, but they get pretty crazy. Um, and I like, I'm grateful that it happened then and not nowadays, because I feel like some of the things that kids go through nowadays with online harassment is actually pretty terrifying. Like, in, in retrospect, mine wasn't that bad, but it still affected me in my teen years a lot. And so I just really feel bad for like the kid and adult artists nowadays who get like, you know, harassed for, uh, Honestly, sometimes very minimal things like ships or whatever. Yeah. And like 
I don't know. Like, yeah, that was something I had to deal with a lot early on. But I think even though it really sucked, it did make me a little bit stronger and like more thick skinned, which ended up helping me in art school. So no, absolutely. Fair enough. I was gonna say like, yeah, I'm thinking back to like the, the harassment, especially when it comes to like ships and stuff. You said ship and that just triggered. Obviously we all know the meme nowadays of the, the airplanes and night sky, the, the mortar twy or whatnot, stuff like that. Yeah. I, I've actually talked to the artist that did that original piece oh, or whatnot. Was yeah. That, who made that? Was it they? Uh, it was someone, they went by a uh, blue dog four, four, four on DeviantArt. Oh, I like, person. Yeah. Um, they, uh, his name is Joey, but it's like, you know, I actually interviewed him on, on this podcast like last year oh, wow. or something like that and like he was talking about like just getting the harassment for a ship that he didn't even really like truly liked more than anything else as well as like he made the ship because it was part of like some like fanfic or something like that you know like it was something fun but like people saw that and like bullied him to the point to where i think like his mom was like threatening to sue know your meme.com over wow. harassment stuff like oh, oh. Yeah, and, that's nice. And this is like ten years ago too, like ten or you know, nine or ten years ago at this point. And you know, that's just back then. Think about the accessibility that kids and like people have nowadays or whatnot. Like you, I, you can attest to this as someone that had to deal with some of that stuff. It's scary out there. It's not easy dealing with any of that. No, and honestly, like I, I don't even know like what to do to deal with it. Because like on one end, like we should say like it, you know, I don't want people to feel like they shouldn't be able to like share their work and stuff outside of the world. But at the same time, like, I think there's a lot of bad, it's like the people who do that stuff. It's not just like people who are like invested in the ship. There's bad faith actors that take advantage of those things too, to target certain people. Do you know what I mean? Uh, Like whenever we see like ship drama or like drama, that's like obviously not very important, but people are like, uh, what is the word? Uh, ganging up on somebody. mm -hmm. Sometimes there's people in there who just hate minorities. Yeah. And I'm just going along with it to target the minority. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's what I mean by bad faith actors. Like, people who have another reason to target that person, whether it's they hate a minority group they're a part of or they have a personal vendetta against that person, like, they take advantage of it and they push it and they push it and they push it. And that's how we get to the point where people are having their lives ruined over, like, an anime ship that they don't like. And I I just find that really detestable, honestly. I mean, I, uh, this might be controversial, but I absolutely 100% agree with you. That kind of harassment should not be out there. People should be able to, to do what they love, post that stuff out there and have some, at least like a little bit of pride in the work that they do, not be bullied to the point to where they should feel ashamed. The fact that they made in their eyes, incredible Art. art. Yeah. So, well, also, like, I mean, I think what it started out as is like, I, cause, I mean, we could get into the whole like call out thing or the call out culture, and I'm not really going to speak on that because the thing is, is like, there are some cases where I feel like that kind of thing might be needed, and that those cases I think are for when somebody's in active danger. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, I think those are that kind of treatment is, is appropriate when somebody is actively a danger to their community and the people around them. Do you know what I mean? Like, people are in danger by not knowing this information. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. But I don't think that people shipping two anime characters that somebody else doesn't like is equivalent to the danger of somebody being a rapist. Exactly. Or, uh, do you know what I mean? Like, I, and I feel like that's kind of where the problem is, is that sometimes, like, people get really enthralled into, like, these fandoms and these spaces and, like, can't separate that, like, that's not as important as, like, real world issues. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Exactly. And I'm not referring to that in things of, like, like, obviously, if somebody is shipping, like, child characters or promoting, like, per- like pedophilia and stuff, of course, that's dangerous behavior. Mm-hmm. But, oh, I don't like this ship because I personally think it's toxic, even though, like, it's just a normal anime ship or whatever. Like, come on, guys. Like, you just have a vendetta and it's not cool. Like, you're just, I don't know. Like, that's just my opinion. Um, 
I, I have like, I guess, kind of a like live and let live type of viewpoint on this kind of thing. And I, I do think we should try to keep people safe, but I don't think that's the way to do it. I mean, there's, you know? there's, there's trying to keep people safe and then there's trying to force people to like a certain thing or force people to have a certain that mentality. That you like or don't like. Yeah. Exactly. And like, yeah. A lot of people, unfortunately, twist it, you know? Yeah, if there's, if there's one thing I've always said, the internet is a unique beast, sadly. There's only so much you can do to control it or whatnot. But, I mean, at the end of the day, like, especially you can probably test this, like, yeah, you've dealt with all that, you know, stuff beforehand yeah. or whatnot. And look at you now. You're here stronger than ever, still producing incredible art. I, I You know, if nothing else, it's a good – it, 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 how should I word this? Like, you're battle-tested. Like, you're ready for whatever anyone wants to bring at you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I just try to be like a kind person. And like the reality is, is that sometimes like people are going to misunderstand you online. And if they do, that's like, you just have to be true to yourself and be kind. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's how I feel. Like there have been times, like I've been talking a lot on Twitter lately about like indie animation, like and the problems with indie animation and why we're having trouble, like having a community become a thing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people will either misinterpret my tweets either because I spoke wrong or because they just didn't understand what I was saying. And they get quite like uh, venomous about it. Like I've had people block me like during discussions and I'm like, that's fine because I'm not trying to be like hurtful or mean or anything. I'm just trying to like, this is a, like, this is a conversation that we're having. And if you don't like the route of the conversation, you're welcome to exit it, but I'm not trying to be cruel or anything. You Absolutely. know what I mean? I never am. No, exactly. You know? it's at, at the end of the day, like, again, this is the internet. You're free to, to express your opinion more than anything else. And like, especially if it's one that is like for your case, trying to help bring a community somewhat together, at least like tell people, Hey, you know, if we're going to make this work, we got to, you know, get some stuff going or whatnot. Like yeah. it, it's stuff that, you know, at the end of the day needs to be said. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think a lot of the tension in that, in those conversations comes from the fact that like, I, I probably have a more nihilist or like, maybe I don't think nihilist. I have a more like, mm, I want to say realistic, but it's a slightly darker realistic take on Mm -hmm. indie animation. And I think a lot of people do. Uh, I do think a lot of people in the, in the indie animation sphere and people who are fans of indie animation have kind of like rose tinted glasses. Like if we just work hard and band together, we can make it happen. But like, I now have like almost three years of professional experience and like I've developed my own pilot and I've made a film and like, I kind of know how this works now. And um, like, I I still think we can do it maybe, but it's, there's a lot of issues that need to be addressed. And I feel like it's never going to be at the scale that like indie games are. It's never going to be at the scale. Like it's never, and it's just because of the nature of the beast of animation. And because I say it that way, it does tend to upset people. People think that I'm just being negative or like uh, they say like, Oh, well just because you're a professional doesn't mean you know everything. I'm like, of course I don't know everything. And you know what? I hope somebody proves me wrong, but I am just speaking. What if you prove me wrong and make some kind of viable way for indie animation to like be achievable for lots of people, great i i'll be wrong i don't want to be right i want to be wrong yes but i'm just saying from what i like know and what i've experienced like not only making them but i've also worked on lots of indie projects i've worked on lots of indie projects um i've worked in professional not indie projects like i i know how this works now and i'm just saying like there's some pretty severe issues with animation being created and the budgets that it requires that halt indie a lot and i don't know if they'll ever be fixable yeah i mean even then like just because you're realistic doesn't mean you're not hopeful. It's not that you don't want to see this stuff succeed. It's not that you no. don't want this this thing to, like, crash and burn at some point or whatnot. You you want to be right there, like, rooting along everyone and, like, helping everything build up. But also, like, 
it's not always going to be sunshine and rainbows. Like it is, it is a, it is an industry. Then there are cogs and gears in this industry to where it works a certain way to where like some of the stuff will work and we will definitely root and be alongside for that stuff. But also like, you know, Hey, you know, it, it's not going to always be easy to get something successful. Exactly. And yeah, I mean, I, I understand that like a lot of people who are like either interested in indie, like because they're making one or like they're fans of it. Like they, don't like it's hard to accept that. Do you know what I mean? Because like when you accept that, it makes you realize like this passion that you have for this craft and like the story that you want to tell, the stories that you want to see be told, like is almost misplaced. Is almost how it feels. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like because you're like I'm hoping for this thing and wanting this thing to be created that is very very unlikely going to happen unless like some major changes happen. Do you know what I mean? Um, I've gone through that emotion myself. Do you know what I mean? I have to kind of battle those feelings a lot every time I'm working on Nocturne because like it's a story that's really important to me and I put a lot of work into it. But like every time I open up my files and I start working again, I realize like I've already been working on this for many years. Like I think the pilot I've been working on for three years now and I still have a lot of work to do and I'm working full time and I have yeah. other priorities and, and things and like I'll finish it when I can. Do you know what I mean? But like, it just makes you realize like we can't compete with the big studios. So like, in terms of like how we can release things quality and on time, like we can't compete with them. And I feel like the people don't want to accept that. Do you know what I mean? Because it makes it feel hopeless. But as soon as we start accepting that as a community, that indie animation right now cannot thrive because of the lack of support that we have for it, maybe we can start addressing the lack of support. Do you yeah. mean? No, absolutely. That's what I think. I mean, it, those are very valid thoughts at the end of the day more than anything else. I mean, again, I, as someone that brings on a bunch of indie animators or whatnot and wants to give them and champion them as much as possible. Also, like I also realize that it's not easy to be successful with indie animation. I mean, again, you can probably test this with me. I'm going to be rooting every single indie animator to try to get that dream out there as best as they possibly can. But also, oh, yes, yeah, ex- yeah, but also like, you know, Hey, as yeah, it's not, sometimes it's just not going to work. That's just the nature of the beast more than anything else. Sadly. Honestly, I would say a lot of the time it doesn't work. And I mean, I can tell you the reasons why it's not even inherently like it's nothing wrong with the well, sometimes there's things wrongs with the project, but it's not about the quality of them. But like, well, I mean, is this a topic you want me to go into? Because this can be one of those tangents. I don't know if you want to ask me other things first. You already got started. I'm not going to stop you. Let's let this can get into a whole topic. Um, <laughs> so like the thing is like indie animation okay so like i want to first off say this like this is why i can speak on this i feel like i worked on four indie pilots that aren't my own okay um and uh with various types of people and like uh like uh what was the word i think of budget and like various things like that um i have my own that i've been working on um and i am involved with a lot of people who are in the indie community like i am in a lot of like group chats with them and i've had like voice calls and we've had lots of discussions about things um etc cetera, etc cetera. And there are a few things that I've noticed that are like a consistent issue with uh, indie productions that I think is something that's kind of sabotaging a lot of projects. Okay. Um, the and it's I'm included by the way I'm included in that because I mean I I'm already invest I I already have the full Nocturne episode boarded. You know oh, I mean wow. so I'm already there. It's already done. I just have to like clean it and color it and like get the other stuff going. But like it, I already have the content, so I I can't go back and restructure. But if I could, I would. Um, but that being said, um, I think the major problems with indie animation, like as it is now, is that people are trying too hard to make indie series resemble like the series we see on TV. Mm. We can't. We can't. 
there's no way that we can do it. We do like, do you understand how much money it costs to create one episode of a show? A lot, a lot, a lot. Like it's like I think at like I think some anime like an anime you have to understand they underpay their workers severely. I think some anime episodes go as low as a hundred thousand per episode, and then uh, some like American cartoons are like a million or multi million per episode. Right? There's whole crews. There's like fifty people working on one episode of a show. Right? And when we try to make like as indie creators try to make like pilots and movies and like full length that like compete in length and quality with feature stuff, we're already shooting ourselves in the foot because we don't have the budget. Nobody has the time because everybody's got to support themselves. Do you know what I mean? Um, we don't have the crew. Do you know what I mean? Uh, so already that alone. And like, again, like I'm guilty of that too. Nocturne is a standard pilot. It's about 23 minutes in length. Um, I've already shot myself in the foot there. Um, but I think I've never seen any indie anime project that I'm aware of try to experiment with shorter episode lengths or different ways of distributing. They always try to go for the standard TV length or like a movie length. And I'm like, you're shooting yourself in the foot. It's not going to work. You're not going to get it done. Like, and if you do get it done, it's going to take years, yep. like years and years and years. Um, so that's the first thing I think that is wrong with a lot of indie animation. And I think that the solution to that would be like, start reformatting your content. Yep. Don't, don't try to mimic TV. Try to make shorter things that you can upload more like more frequently to build an audience. Do you know what I mean? Because that way you grow and you can sell merch and that's how you make money and cash flow to keep making content. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, so that's the first problem. The second problem is a lot of people who do indie animation, they turn to Kickstarter or Indiegogo to like raise funds um, to create their pilot. And again, I will be doing that in the future as well. But a lot of the problems I see with those Kickstarters is that a lot of the time they come with almost nothing prepared, Mm -hmm. almost nothing. Like I've seen, and I am not calling shade or anything because I understand like it takes money to pay people. It takes time to create the content you need to have like proof of concept to show in your Kickstarter. But like, I've seen like five or six Kickstarters for indie animation that have like nothing they have no animation tests they have no public storyboards they have like only character designs and like a couple of background concepts and like even the story isn't super fleshed out in the kickstarter and i think that's because a lot of indie animation people are like kind of guarded on their project they're like oh well i don't want to put it out yet because i don't want anybody to steal my idea while i'm making it nobody's gonna steal your idea and if they do like it's pretty easy as to like like if a studio were to suddenly make a show that looked exactly like mine everybody would know do you know what I mean and we could go to court yeah. do you know what I mean like so, I mean, I don't think that's something to worry about, but what, what ends up happening is that you'll have these Kickstarter pages that have like one or two character drawings, a very, very vague like idea like, oh, this is a sci-fi thing with like a, you know, XYZ lead and it's going to be cool. Please fund it. And then they don't get funding because that's not enough to get people interested. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, I think people need to understand that we're selling a product. Like when we're making indie stuff like this, we are playing capitalism. Do you know what I mean? We're trying to get people to invest in a product. And if you don't have a product to show, why are they going to invest in it? The biggest indie animation problem is that we're stuck in this cycle where it's like, we need money to make our content, but we can't make content or we can't make money because we don't have content. Right. right? So it's like this cycle of like, oh, well, if I had more money, I can make content, but people aren't going to give me money unless I have content to give them, yeah. you know? Um, so that's that's the other big problem. So those are the two things that I, I think are the biggest problem with indie animation. Because actually, if you go on TikTok, um, which I started using recently, I didn't used to use it, but now I've been using it like casually and for not art stuff. Um, and there's actually quite a lot of indie animation on TikTok, but oh, yeah. it's not the way that people on Twitter view it. Do you know what I mean? Um, because they're making short clips for TikTok and they're making money 
selling merch yep. because they have a like they they post like 15 20 second clips sell plushies of their characters and they're making money they have their brand that's that's kind of the way a lot of indie animation i think unfortunately have to, like to survive online and truly indie that's the way we have to go we have to work with the system that we have yeah absolutely you know I, mean? I was gonna say like the the whenever you said like the indie animation like tiktok alone like the first thing that came to mind was i'm pretty sure you probably see a chicken nugget or whatnot like the the little yeah of course, little, yeah, of course. like mm-hmm. like that alone like I, I can see why that's a big merch mover because it, it's short 30 seconds to like a minute long clips at best or whatnot like little cute situations that people can hit, cling on to and like easy yeah. merch sales right there more than anything else exactly. like and and, and the fact mm-hmm. that in today's society to where things are like super duper fast moving or whatnot. Like people want to see like short, short clips. They want to, you know, look at something, they move on to the next thing or whatnot. Like no matter what timeline you go to, like if you, especially with a lot of indie animation trying to stick with the traditional TV format, which to be fair, traditional TV hasn't exactly been up to snuff. I mean, especially ever since everything's gone digital with streaming and all the different aspects of whatnot. Like the fact that we're, we have the old mentality when we needed to have the new mentality creates a whole entire clash of cultures or more not whatnot everything and yeah fun (laughs) yeah no i think you get it like and where it gets tricky though is that a lot of people in the indian animation community that i know want to make things that maybe wouldn't work as well in those formats like for example i'm working on an action drama pilot and it's not as easy to chop that up into small segments right do you mean um so there is some things to like consider with that but um yeah, I, I think that that would be the the biggest thing that I think the indie animation community needs to start considering is like we cannot compete with the budgets and the crew sizes that you know studio animation has. How can we make content on our own on our own terms and make enough money on it to continue to create that content without having to rely on outside sources of income? Right. You know what I mean? Right. And. Like that comes in lots of ways. That comes again in like, uh, like po- actually posting your content. Do you mean like not just holding on to it and hoarding it? And again, I'm guilty of that too because I've got like so much content for Nocturne that I've just never posted. <laughs> um, but like, I so I'm calling myself out too. I'm not judging. Yeah. Um, but we we hold in we hold on to it. We don't post anything. Uh, uh, we create very overcomplicated series. Do you mean? Um, we like a lot of people i know want to do like full animation they want to do like fully painted backgrounds we can't so find a way to do that that gets close to what you want but it's like simplifies things for you like something that i actually just recently started switching to on nocturne is that we're going to use um blender for all the backgrounds now like we're not painting any of the backgrounds we're gonna uh, i actually did some tests recently where like i took the 3d set that i've been using for storyboards Mm -hmm. and i just put like some tune shaders in blender and like lit it and it looks pretty decent i mean like so and that'll save a lot of time because now that i have it lit i can just grab all the backgrounds and it's done i don't have to paint anything i don't have to pay anyone to paint anything (laughs) do you mean like those are the things that we need to think about as indie creators like how can we make it look good but do it in a reasonable amount of time with a small crew or by ourselves. And then also be able to post it frequently enough to be able to create an audience that will buy our merch because ad revenue is not going to make money. Ad revenue sucks. I'm sure you know as a YouTuber, like it's, uh, it sucks. It's it's not, I was going to say, as someone that just recently got to the uh, money threshold or whatnot and then keep releasing videos that makes not a whole lot in returns or whatnot, yeah, ad it's revenue sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it, no, it does. And it's like, uh, like there's no other, like, and this is true for, um, 
like studio animation too. Like I would argue that for all animation, uh, it's not the show itself that makes the money, it's the fandom. Yeah. And what I mean by that is like, it's the merch sales, it's the, you know, events sales, like everything outside of the show itself is what makes money. The show itself is often a money sink. Do you know what I mean? And that's going to be true in indie as well. So you need to like, how are you going to get people invested like in your merch in your outside, you know, how are you even going to convince them to uh, contribute to your Patreon if they don't know what you're making? Yep. Do you know what I mean? If you're, if they're not invested in what you're making, why are they going to care to give you money? Do you know what I mean? I mean, that's something that's that, that's uh, the animation problem. Uh, no, I was gonna say like, to be fair, like also for me as well, like doing this podcasting, whatnot, that's something that resonates with me as well, because I have the Patreon. I've just been very bad at keeping up with the Patreon and like providing stuff sure. for my guests to, to or for people to invest in the Patreon more than anything else. Like, and I imagine like, especially with indie animation, especially with how long and tiring of a process it can be at times, it's, it's harder, but at the same time, like, especially if indie animators want to thrive in it, it's something that needs to be done. Yeah. So. Yeah. So it, it's really, really, really tricky. And like, I don't know, like I am going to be putting my, my mouth where my words are, so to speak. What is those saying? I don't know. I'm going to be doing what I'm saying. I'm like, that's what I preach. I said money yeah. where your mouth like, is. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like I, I've been, I, when I was in Australia this last uh, August, um, I did a lot of work on Nocturne because I had like a little vacation period. Mm -hmm. um, and so I kind of came up with a new strategy that I'm going to implement where I, I think what I'm, I'm actually doing a lot behind the scenes right now with Ooh. Nocturne. Um, I've been working a lot on not only like art stuff, like getting ready, because I am planning on hoping to launch a Kickstarter like March is kind of the goal right now. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, but because of that, I'm doing a lot of behind the scenes work preparing, not like not just me artistically, but like I'm working with musicians now, some pretty cool like retro wave musicians. Hey. Um, including I'm talking to a kind of bigger one, so that's kind of exciting. Okay. Um, we'll see what happens. But so I'm working with musicians. Um, one just launched yesterday and is starting to make some tracks um, for Nocturne. And then I'm also going to be working with voice actors in like November, December. Okay. Um, because what I'm hoping to do is kind of like, like I'm, I'm going to launch the Kickstarter, but I'm going to do like a little, like maybe like 30 day, like hype up, I guess. Like I'm going to just be posting everything that I have and like all of the work that I've been hiding and not showing and like, just lay it out. Like, look, I have the episode, you know, boarded. I just need help getting people to help me color it and then we'll get it done. I'm going to, I need help paying for the musicians. I'm paying right now for things out of my pocket, but right. it gets expensive and I do want to pay people fairly. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's the thing that's really important to me, too, is that another thing that happens a lot in indie animation is that because it's indie, people sometimes get taken advantage of. Yeah. And to the best of my ability, I want to try to pay people a fair wage. Do you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, like, that's kind of what I'm working on right now is, like, uh, just saving up a bunch of content and then putting it all out at once. And hopefully we'll get a good Kickstarter result from that. There you go. There you go. But before we really divulge too much of what you are currently working on, because I definitely want to divulge sure. a lot into Nocturne a little bit. Oh, sure. I, sure. I, sure, sure, sure. I do want to go back again just a little bit because obviously, like, it, you know, you're, you, you've said before, like, you've worked in the industry, you've worked independently on stuff or whatnot. Like, it's not like you're going into Nocturne blindly. You have a good bit of experience. And I want to talk about at least one of the biggest things that you've had experience with, and it was your own personal independent film that you did in college called Heart of Gold. Um, for, yes, uh, this was a interesting short film that I actually uh, sat down and watched. I absolutely loved it. For those who might be curious, what in the world I am possibly talking about? How would you describe Heart of Gold? Um, the gosh, I wish I could remember the logline. Uh, God, I, I used to have it memorized because I had to pitch it at school. Uh, it's been a couple years now. Uh, so basically, it's about a young woman who is rejected by her community and her church uh, because she doesn't have enough gold to offer them, and so she goes to an exiled necromancer. 
uh, necromancer to ask for help in creating gold, uh, but then they fall in love and things go awry. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's yeah. it's a definitely unique, especially some of the ways that like you know the goals are like met and you know how plots twist and all stuff like that it's really a unique story i think what was the inspiration for it in the first place so it's kind of got like a lot of various like sources of inspiration um so something about me is that i have a really like intimate connection with music like okay. i i think most um most stories that i make are inspired by music i i don't know why i just really get inspired by music um, so actually the, I would say the source inspiration of my film is an old Vocaloid song called The Beast okay. uh, by Hot State Miku, it's by Spectacle P. And it's got a kind of similar story of like, uh, uh, it was, in that story it's about like a monster and a human falling in love, but she rejects him. Um, but just kind of the idea of like, like not telling somebody that you love them and like making the wrong choice and then you lose them. Do you know what I mean? Like that's kind of what the basis of that song is. And that's kind of what I was looking to replicate in this story. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, like that idea of like, I made the wrong choice and now it's too late to go back. Right. You know? Right. And especially um, one that involves like community and all sorts of different aspects or whatnot. Like it, it, it more or less like, you know, going with like morals versus what your heart is telling you more than anything else. Yeah. I rocks are called heart of gold, but nevertheless, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I'm glad you got it. <laughs> the fact that like, it, it's such a complex story more than anything else. Like I just absolutely love the storytelling you were able to implement the, the different aspects of it, the character growth in such a short amount of time too. So in fact, it's only like a six minute film or whatnot. Like you did a really good job with your storytelling with that one. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was a it was a really interesting challenge because like um of course like for college films like we're taking other classes like while we're making the film and I was graduating and I was also freelancing like while I was I was freelancing and well during the pandemic I stopped working in restaurants but during the beginning before the pandemic I was also working as a server to mm -hmm. like pay my bills. So like I had multiple jobs and I was doing multiple classes so like like being, like, I really wanted to give my all to my film though. So like, I would remember staying up like really late, like all nighters, like working on the storyboards, working on the writing, like emailing my teachers, like, hey, what do you think about this new version? I reboarded it like six times, like, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I can only imagine, especially with how complex of a story this must have been first, like more than anything else there. It must have been hard being able to really like tell this story at times, you know, with some of the messages that were going on through there. So, I mean, I think the hard, I mean, well, there's two things. There's the hard aspect of like pushback from some of my teachers, but then there's also the hard back, a hard aspect of like, like I didn't have to cut out scenes that I wanted, but I think in the end made the story stronger. Um, for example, like I really wanted to emphasize the fact that the necrodancer, or necrodancer, the necromancer was, um, love that game, a uh, necromancer was uh, <laughs> exiled. Uh, I wanted to have a scene at some point where like the, the the town like ganged up and actually tried to beat up the necromancer like while she was trying to um like sacrifice the cow I really wanted something like that to show like hey they really don't like this person but my teacher gave me some really good uh advice saying like it's already implied because he's already separated from the town right you know what I mean right. um and I think in the end that probably made the story more streamlined and I think it worked better um there was another issue where in the beginning, I actually, uh, this was a big note that I got, and I think it really made the story a lot better. Originally, the priest wasn't so evil. He okay. was, it was originally, yeah, originally how it was, was that uh, Sierra, the main character's name is Sierra. Um, he originally was going to the necro uh, necromancer, uh, to, she was originally going there to ask him for gold because the church was falling apart because okay. it was a poor church. 
Do you know what I mean? And then the irony there was going to be, oh, well, they reject him even though they're helping, like he's helping them, do you know what I mean, with their broken down church. But my teacher said, is that really the message you want though? Like think about like the message you want to tell. And I was like, yeah, it makes it makes them more like ignorant and sympathetic and not necessarily like, it's it, it takes away agency from Sierra. Like mm-hmm. I feel like in this new version of the story, she has to make a choice between two very opposing views. Whereas beforehand, like it, it was not really a situation where she had to make a choice, but more like it was like she was trying to do the right thing. Do you know what I mean? For to, to help the poor church. I don't know if I'm making any sense, but long story short, long story short, it did go through a lot of different iterations. Um, my A lot of my teachers didn't want me to include the romance aspect. They thought that it was too forced and too rushed. Um, I wanted the romance, so I kept it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I think it, it, at least for me, like the romance, like it, it had another like good layer when it came to just like I said, like the the character growth more than anything else between them, like for both Sierra and the necromancer, uh, the, yes. the, the, <laughs> the like especially with how it ended, I won't spoil it because I want people to actually go there and watch it yeah. when they get the opportunity because it's absolutely stunning what you were able to do with that, like the 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 imagery that you use throughout or whatnot, like some of the effects, like some of the compositing more than anything else, like absolutely stunning what you were able to do with that stuff. And like, even then some of the, like the subtle messages or like even the, the, the right there in your face messages, like it is absolutely amazing. And I know like I'm a major fan of it. I know there was a lot of other fans too. Cause in fact that some of those were a little bit too fanatic and tried to take your film and try to showcase it on TikTok and stuff. Yeah. So that's been, like I said, it's been happening. Like, I, I would say like more times than I even can say, like I know about seven times that I've seen, but I think there's even been more than that because like, I would say like once a month, I get like a random surge of like comments and like subscribers that are like, who's here from TikTok? Who's here from TikTok? And like, I don't even know which TikTok it is this time. Do you know what I mean? Because it turns out there's actually quite a lot of uh, TikTok accounts that repost uh, animated films, not just mine, like other senior films, other short films. Um, so, and I don't, I don't know. I. It's really frustrating on one hand because it's like, you know, me and my team, we spent years working on this, like two years of our, of our school time right. working on it. And like we I don't remember exactly how many views we're at now, but like some of these TikToks had like 20 million views. Jesus I'm not exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating. What? I'm not even exaggerating. Yeah. And like I, multiple, like the biggest one was 20 million. The second biggest one was 7 million. So like that's way more reach than my original film got and on top of that like they replaced the audio with like trending audio and i'm sorry not to be rude but it's like shitty like yeah. we had a custom score made for my film do you know what i mean like i worked and we had like i'm sure you heard it as you watched it like it hits emotional beats we did a lot of work with like uh light motif and like trying to make like the instrumentation match what was going on and like make you cry when you're supposed to cry and make you laugh when you're supposed to laugh um so like the fact that like they just like take away this audio that we like meticulously crafted uh to put like shitty trending audio on i don't know it just really like destroys my film do you mean and like i don't know it it just kind of is like i don't know i guess it is what it is right but then at the same time it's like if people see my film here they can find my next projects as well but now they're not going to be able to do that because people are just stealing my film and reposting it yeah i mean that i mean that that just sucks more than anything else like again you were talking about the amount of time and effort that went to that film for a a great story more than anything else and people are just you know (laughs) tiktok get me views hell yeah like yeah it it just it like don't get me wrong tiktok's a unique beast as well (laughs) like i love tiktok for what has been able to produce a lot of times but also like let's be honest that's just a jackass on the internet at the end of the day (laughs) it's kind of like 
I mean, like I said, people are re-uploading it on YouTube too. And actually, yep. before I had the content, like uh, whatever it is, like there's like a content copyright thing. Before I had that, I didn't know that there was another re-upload from a, an account that had like a million subscribers and had like a couple hundred thousand views on it. So I'm sure that they had ad rep on that. So somebody has made money on my film. Do you mm. know what I mean? That I didn't, and I, I'm not really that concerned about money in regards to this film because it's like, you know, it was a school project, but like, it does piss me off that other people are profiting on my film. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Like, yep. And then I actually also got an email once of somebody asking me if they could make NFTs out of my film, out of part of the world. Oh, they Jesus to make Christ. And I told them, no, I'm not interested in that. And they said, okay, well, I'm going to do it anyway. So I don't know <laughs> if they did it or not, but that also could be a thing. So, Like, if you were just going to make NFTs on it or whatnot, then why even bother asking in the first place? Like that, uh... They were like, yeah, I'll give you 20%. And I was like, it's my art. It's my film. Like... Yeah, exactly. Jesus. I, I, uh, ugh. Although I, yeah. I, I, I will say the best, oh, at least for me, the best thing to come out of that is the fact that you actually tweeting about that stuff. That's how I first became familiar with your work in the first place. Because I think it was probably, was it June of this year or something like that? It was earlier this year when I, I saw you make a tweet about people like retweeting that stuff. I even retweeted your tweet about it or whatnot. Oh, yeah. because, because like it, it's a serious thing and like, you know, like seeing that got me familiar with your work or whatnot. And that's why I knew I wanted to have you on the podcast at some point because I saw the stuff you've been able to produce and like it sucks that that whole entire thing happened but i mean like jesus christ like it, it like it, i i'm well, yeah, I, I mean like there have been new people driven to me and on my youtube as well but like the, the the numbers don't add up for example like when the 20 million one was going around i saw that the tiktok had 20 million views they didn't link back to me or anything uh but some nice people in the comments were like oh it's heart of gold by ambati go find it so i did notice that i had an uptake of like a hundred thousand views okay that's good except they got 20 million so yeah. that's like a fraction of a percent of the people who saw it on tiktok actually saw my film yeah. and that's where it gets me do you mean it's like why should i be grateful for that do you know what I mean like yeah yeah that it, yeah, I I, if if nothing else hopefully the stuff that you're gonna be producing from here on out is gonna be bigger and better than the stuff you're gonna be making i mean you've been working on some you've been working on some incredible stuff i mean i said in the intro you've been working with the likes of warner brothers and Titmas. one of the biggest projects that has been released that we can talk about at the very least is a animated series for amc plus called pantheon now i'm gonna yes, be like, i'm so glad it's finally out <laughs> now i'm not gonna lie i had not heard anything about this series until i saw you tweeting about it or whatnot but whenever i saw those stuff and i saw some of the animations for it oh my god it looks so fucking gorgeous like to be yeah. <laughs> like it must have been how did you even first became familiar with this project and what was the experience like working on a show like this yeah so first disclaimer i wasn't on it for very long i was a freelancer okay. i was on it for like three months um it was like a timing thing like well how i ended up getting on it was uh, I was about to graduate Art Center. Was, I went to Art Center College of Design. That's where I went to school. And um, I, it was like March, and I graduated the next month. And my teacher, Alan Wan, was like, hey, uh, I have a friend who's working on this show called Pantheon, and it kind of matches your art style and the kind of stuff you want to do. Uh, would you want to maybe see if he would like to have you for revisions? And I was like, sure. Um, and yeah, he liked what I was doing, and so I did revisions for Pantheon. Um, and I did that while I was graduating, so I was a busy girl. <laughs> but it was, it was fun. Um, so yeah, like uh, it was really interesting because when I first got onboarded onto it, like they really put a lot of emphasis onto like you know we want this to be like like really respectful of like like Satoshi Kon type of stuff. Like that's okay. the direction they were going. Like Paprika, Perfect Blue, like and that was really great for me because that's one of my biggest influences as well in regards to animation. Like I love okay. Satoshi Kon. I have 
the whole Millennium Actress storyboard book by him on my my desk right there. Um, <laughs> so I was of course excited, like that my first like like it was a full, my first union studio job was like a project that was so aligned with the kind of work I wanted to do. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, like I said, I was only on it for a short period. So I feel like I did learn like some basic level things about like revisions, but I feel like I came onto the production so late that a lot of the revisions that I did were like simple things. Like I wasn't really a part of any of the story solving or like any, like, like I was doing a lot of minor things like, oh, clean this up or like we need to change this background. But I did get sneak peeks of the the episodes before they aired and stuff. So that's cool. You know? <laughs> I, mean, so I, I would like to hope you got sneak peeks on it because the fact that you worked on it. <laughs> yeah. My, my influence is not major on that, but I do know that show had a lot of freelancers like me. Like a lot of people in the industry like touched that project like in small amounts like a few episodes here a few episodes there i'm pretty sure my first screen credit should be episode six but we'll find out i don't remember i'd have to double check my files um <laughs> yeah a lot of there was a lot of people like me who were um freelancing like in small capacities and i think that's kind of what made the project special too though is because like a lot of different people from lots of different like places were able to kind of like put their heart into it and a lot of people are really passionate about this kind of animation like this adult animation with like a more drama tone to it and like because i do think a lot of adult animation is like comedy adult do you mean yeah um yeah. where it's like yeah we have violence but it's also like hee-haw butts hee-haw like you know like invincible i love invincible but it's yep. still pretty childish do you mean um i do love it but like it's not really a it can be a drama but you know what i'm saying there's still yeah. that air of like like comedy to it, but Pantheon is not like that. Pantheon's like, it reminds me of a live action show. Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? The episodes are structured like a live action show. Uh, the writing is, is uh, the, the actors are live action actors, I believe. I'm not really good with actors, but um, <laughs> just saying. But the point is like the way that that show was approached was very like, hey, we're treating this like a live action drama and we're just going for it. And honestly, I think it makes it very unique and unlike anything else that's coming out right now. Oh, absolutely. Like, again, even the little bits I was able to find of Pantheon or whatnot, like, especially being able to watch, like, the season premiere that luckily AMC was able to upload onto YouTube or whatnot, like, Jesus Christ, like, it looks so gorgeous and, like, some of the, yeah. the, the, the ideas are some of the most unique I've seen of just any show, period, or whatnot, like, some of the intricacies of it, like, again, just being able to have even just, like, a single fingerprint on the show for now, yeah. like, it, it, it must have been, like, surreal, especially seeing some of the final results of it. Morning. Oh yeah, I was grateful because I mean it was my first like union job outside of school, right? Mm -hmm. So it was like I, I felt very lucky and grateful that like even if it was a small impact, like I am able to be a part of a project like that because that's the kind of stuff I want to work on. Like yeah. I want that show to set the tone for my career. Yeah. I mean? And I've been lucky so far. I can't obviously talk about what I've been working on at Warner Brothers and Tip Mouse now, but like they're similar shows. Like they're adult okay. dramas. Do you know what I mean? And I'm grateful because I think Pantheon really helped me like establish like this is where I'm going career wise and this is where I want to stay and it's where I have stayed. Exactly. Know? Wonderful. So. I mean, I, I, absolutely. Like just thinking about like, like the the if that is the first show if that sets the standard like that's good that's a good foundation more than anything else with how incredible that yeah. show just even looks more than anything else and obviously like I think that's even showcased with something that you may have already been working on years beforehand or whatnot but it's something that I imagine like that and some of the other experiences I imagine that is a good culmination for quite possibly your biggest project to date or soon to be your biggest project to date and that is Nocturne. Now, yes, actually, funny enough, uh, I used Nocturne sequences for my portfolio 
to get the Pantheon. And they said, oh, yeah, these are great. Come work. So, yeah, <laughs> there, there's definitely a lot of similarities. Well, there you go. I mean, hey, that's a good – again – Good foundation more than anything else. So obviously I have to ask, you kind of tiptoed around it a little bit. We've already talked about it a little bit. How would you describe Nocturne for those who have no idea what in the world we're talking about? Yeah, so Nocturne is a indie animated pilot. Uh, it's uh, kind of like, I call it like Gem and the Holograms meets Berserk. So uh, it's kind of got like some retro wave vibes. It's got like some like retro 90s vibes to it, but it's its own thing too. It's a vampire story. Uh, it's about this like bartender who's the granddaughter of a vampire hunter, but she doesn't want to be a vampire hunter and a glam rock singing vampire who hate each other, but have to team up to stop a vampire apocalypse. So yeah. Beautifully worded. And I was going to say like, just hearing that the the comparison of like Jim and the holograms and whatnot, just looking at Vesper or Vesper himself, like yeah, or whatnot. Vesper, yeah. yeah. Vesper, just seeing Vesper alone, completely, completely like nailed that vibe more than anything else. What inspired you to make this in the first place? So it's so funny. So, um, I remember earlier how I said I'm really inspired by music. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just listening to, I listened to a lot of music of all sorts of types and I was on YouTube just listening to a playlist and somebody in the, had put in the playlist, like a, an eighties rap version of the Castlevania song, bloody tears. Ooh. And it was like, it sounded like Millie Vanilli. It was a really good song. And I was like, damn, like this is a fucking vibe. And I was like, I want to make something about 80s vampires. Like, that sounds like a fun idea. And, like, full disclosure, I was not interested in vampires at all. Like, at all. Like, I never watched any vampire stuff before I started working on Nocturne. Oh, wow. I don't know. You would think I... I know. You would think that I'd be interested in it because I'm a little goth, but I just never (laughs) got into it. You know what I mean? Like, I I guess my association was, like, Twilight. And for me, that was, like, not really my style. Okay, okay. Like, let's be honest. Like, whenever Twilight is the standard or whatnot, like, you'd really get much better if that's the standard. (laughs) Like, any... Any sort of people who like it. I was but. gonna say like any any uh, like I'm sorry I I get how impactful it is to people and how much people loved it and clung on to it more than anything else. But like whenever you see some of the cooler vampire stuff out there more than anything else, Twilight looks like like yeah, you know what I'm getting at. Yeah. <laughs> if people like it, that's good for them. It's just not for me. Like it's too like soap opera to yeah, me. Yes. Like, and it's not, it's, it's, for me, it's just not for me. Um, so that's like really all I knew about vampires. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know why I, I just felt really inspired by this Castlevania song. I was like, okay, I'm just going to start making it. And um, this was a long time ago. This was like six years ago, but originally Nocturne was a webcomic actually. Okay. Um, it, yeah. I used to post it on like Tapas and like Smack Jeeves before Smack Jeeves got like destroyed. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, it, and the thing is, though, like, when I first started it, like, I actually was going through one of the most difficult times in my life. Okay. Um, and uh, I feel like having something creative to work on like that, like, that was, like, kind of goal-based, like, oh, I'm going to make more pages for my comic, kind of, like, kept me going artistically when I could have easily, like, stopped doing art. Right. So, like, it's, like, a really important project to me for that reason. But uh, also, the thing is, when I first started working on Nocturne as a webcomic, I had no plan. I, like, literally all I had was... 80s vampires here's a little sassy 80s vampire and here's the goth girl and they are gonna go on adventures and obviously the story did not work very well because i didn't know what i was doing do you know what i mean like i originally was gonna have it be a comedy actually <laughs> um, and then i i've always really liked murder mystery stories so then it turned into a murder mystery and then it was just really like it was all over the place and like my art style at the time was also all over the place because okay. um I grew up wanting to draw anime. Like I always was interested in anime, but I went before I went to art center. I went to another school mm-hmm. uh, that 
was very anti-anime. Like they would fail me if I drew anime in class. Oh, wow. So I like very rapidly had to switch from like my anime style to like something that kind of resembled like Steven Universe and like Dexter's Lab, like something like that. Okay. And you could tell that I didn't feel it, but I had to draw that way for school. Mm. And so I was kind of just having like this weird like identity crisis artistically at that time. Do you know what I mean? Um, but despite that, a lot of people really liked Nocturne's webcomic. I was really, really happy. Like, when it was, like, the most active, it had about 2,000 readers altogether. Oh, wow. Um, so, I mean, yeah, people liked it, and I'm really grateful for that. Um, but at some point, I, it was probably my junior year in Art Center, I realized, like, okay, well, I really do like this story, but it's not really the way I want it to be. Like, this isn't how I vision this story anymore. Like, I don't vision it in this style. I don't vision it in like this tone and I don't even vision it in like these character designs. Right. Like this is not what I want it to be. And there's no way you can fix it at that point. Cause I was like three chapters into the webcomic, like 200, 300 pages in, I think. Jesus. And like the only, yeah, like I didn't like the story. I didn't like the art design. I didn't, I didn't like any of it. And I was like, well, at that point I'm just going to start over. Do you know what I mean? Um, so originally my plan was to start over as a comic and like, just like redo the comic and like, like rewrite the story and like get it more where I wanted it to be. And I even hired a comic editor to help me. Oh, you know wow. I mean, and I paid her to help me. And a lot of the notes that she gave me made me realize that I, I didn't want to make Knocker as a comic. I don't like making comics. Do you know what I mean? Um, and that was also the time when I started focusing on storyboarding specifically for my career in school. Mm -hmm. um, and it made me realize like, I, I like, like storyboarding basically is like comics, but it's like, like for a, a moving picture, do you right. mean? it's very similar. Do you know what I mean? And so I was like, well, I love storyboarding and I love animation. So why don't I make an animatic? Do you know what I mean? Instead of a comic, because I don't really like making comics. And so that's when I dropped the whole comic thing and I just started making the animatic. So the animatic version of Nocturne, like the pilot as it is now, started being developed in my junior year of art school. So it's been like three years. Okay. Okay. Damn. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even yeah. then, like knowing like the the history of it alone, like the the foundation of the the web comic, and then like how it evolved and transformed into this incredible, like cool, sleek looking concept for an incredible like pilot or whatnot. Like it gets me more excited, like hearing more about this because like I've again since I've only known you for a relatively short amount of time, like the little bits I have been able to see of it or whatnot. Oh my god, it looks so stunning. It looks so gorgeous. The style that you're trying to go for, I think you're nailing it like infinitely more like i could just go on for days when it comes to this stuff and i imagine like for you like it has to be like fun more than anything else considering some of the influences that you had putting into it or whatnot and like yeah. especially knowing the fact that like it evolves from like you know the the murder mystery comedy or whatnot to this like cool sleek like almost drama that involves i imagine a lot of cool like horror elements because in fact that you know hey oh, it's vampires <laughs> i would say like I always describe Nocturne as like a drama horror romance because romance is actually a big part of the genre and I don't want people to misunderstand that. Like mm -hmm. there's lots of romance in the story, but um, yeah, like horror is a, it's a major element and I think that's probably what separates Nocturne from a lot of um, other vampire stories. Like, I know a lot of vampires do do horror, but the type of horror that I'm going for specifically is like body horror. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, like my vampires aren't traditional vampires. I've kind of made my own rules for my vampires. Okay. Some of them reflect, um, like, moderate, like, some of them are, I, I would say, like, my biggest, like, like, official vampire source that I used a lot as, like, a base was uh, Anne Rice's vampires. Okay. Um, so there are similarities there. Um, like, how vampires and Nocturne get turned, for example, is similar to how Anne Rice vampires get turned, uh, which is, like, you have to consume the blood of a vampire. Um, so that's, that's something. Um, but I really kind of wanted to do my own thing with it because I'm going a little bit more, like, 
for example, like a lot of vampires are more like these are demons. Like there's like religious undertones. I'm going for more sci-fi. Like okay. it's never really like outwardly like stated, but the way I approach Nocturne vampires that it's like it's a medical thing. It's a it's a scientific medical thing, not really a religious thing. Um, so with that being said, like I really put a lot of emphasis on like how their bodies like can deform because of their vampires vampirism and like a lot of the gore there's a lot of gore in the show even the first episode there's quite a lot of gore mm -hmm. um and it's really revolving around like pushing the limits of what their bodies can do and like what like for example when vampires are in hunting mode they actually can break their jaws and like extend them like a snake do you know what I mean yeah and that's 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 kind of what I'm saying with the body horror like it like that's the big thing in Nocturne yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, like, I remember looking through some of your videos or whatnot. Look, the autopsy scene alone, the one in the medical center or whatnot, I'm pretty sure that emphasized at least 90% of the points that you were talking about right there with, with how you need these beasts. Burger, when I clean it, it'll be worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, goodness, like, again, like, just knowing, like, what what is lurking in the shadows when it comes to what this pilot could potentially be like I can just only imagine, like, how much of a stunning, immersive, like, horrifying experience it could potentially be knowing how unique these beasts are and, and especially like the 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 way that you have like the lead set up more than anything else like i love their like little dynamic just between the two and like the little tastes alone more than anything else like how important was it for you to have that like unique dynamic um so i'll be honest a lot of nocturne is very like uh indulgent for me like i like to write about things that i'm interested in right mm -hmm. and so i like buddy cop stories i always have like i i love like stories where like these people don't get along but they have to solve the crime like i love that <laughs> like x files i love x files you okay know what I, mean? I love bones and so i was really trying to channel that energy of like like i want them to be sassy and quippy but maybe a romance will fly and they have to solve the murders. And like, I love that. Like the energy of that, like I'm really like for the writing in the show, like I'm very inspired by like kind of like nineties, two thousands, like dramas for that reason. Like I'm very much going for like the, the Buffy bones X-Files vibe mm -hmm. in regards to like how the writing is handled. Um, so yeah, I, I love drawing them too. And I'm really glad that everybody else understands the dynamic I'm going for. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, I don't know. I, I just make characters that were interesting to me and I'm glad other people think they're interesting. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I know I'm only probably a small minority, obviously one of several people that probably agree with this at this point, but like, especially seeing, seeing and hearing the fact that more is definitely along the way or whatnot. Again, I'm just excited to know what could potentially be next. So then that ask at this point, you said yourself, you've been working on this pilot for like ages at this point. What should we expect next when it comes to Nocturne? Sure. So right now the plan is, so I had to go on hiatus for Nocturne for a short while because when I was working at Warner Brothers, um, it was pretty rough. And I also was freelancing because I'm stupid um, and I am a workaholic. Uh, so I really had very limited free time to work on Nocturne. So I wasn't really made, able to make a whole lot of progress uh, in January to about uh, like August, the beginning of August. But when I was on my vacation, a lot of new things happened for Nocturne. Um, when I was in Australia, I actually gave a presentation at a, a museum in Australia where I presented uh, the first half of the animatic publicly for the first time. Um, and I showed all of the pitch material, a lot of which was never posted online. Um, I got a lot of really positive feedback. I, there was probably like, I think 70 to 100 people in the room. And I was like surrounded by hordes of people for like hours. Like my boyfriend was just sitting there with a wine, like waiting for me, poor thing. Um, but people were really like, they really, really are like excited about the story. They're really excited about um, 
like the future of the project. So that was a really good way for me to kind of like do a test market it. Like, cause they don't know me, they're Australia. They probably have never heard of me before. Do you know what I mean? And I got extremely positive reception. So that was really good. And I got some data through a survey as well that I plan to use for pitching purposes in the future. Mm -hmm. um, but after that, I started, uh, I, I'm working with musicians now, as I said, I've been working with a couple of like retrowave producers who are making um, some original music for the pilot. Um, I have been working privately uh, on doing more cleanup and color of the animatic. As you've seen, I've posted some mm -hmm. um, colored scenes. There's a lot more I haven't posted because I want to save them for when I'm doing my Kickstarter launch. Right. Um, I'm, I'm going to be working with voice actors starting in November. Uh, I'm going to try to start doing my casting call in November and then get the lines recorded in December and ultimately trying to launch a Kickstarter somewhere between January and March. Well, there you go. I mean, I, I gotta say, like, I love how, like, organized and, like, how, like, in that mindset of, like, getting this thing, like, really done that you really are. Because, like, I could tell, like, you have a lot invested in this and you want this thing to succeed. Like, I can only imagine, especially with, like, you were talking about just the, the six years with the webcomic and, you know, working on this pile alone, like it must be almost surreal for you to think that there is potentially a light to see this thing truly come to fruition. Yeah. And I mean, like, I, my thing is, I, I am passionate about indie animation, but I'll be honest with you, I, I am attempting to get Nocturne pitched to a studio because right. the scale of which I want to create this show is not feasible in mm -hmm. the indie like, uh, scope. Um, so I have been exploring opportunities privately, like to pitch it. Um, and I don't really want to talk about that right now, but um, right. I have been, that, that is something that's been happening. Um, but what I'm doing before, if something like that doesn't work out, my plan, I guess, for the future is to do the Kickstarter. And I'm going to be aiming for quite a lot of money, actually, because I am uh, passionate about paying people a fair wage. Do you know what I mean? So my goal is, I haven't decided yet. I was originally going to go for 50000 but I might bump it up to eighty. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is, is because I'm paying people. I'm paying musicians. I'm paying voice actors. I'm going to be hiring people to help me clean up and color the animatic. Um, and I don't want to pay them minimum wage. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, so, and almost all of the money will not be, like, none of it will be going to me, basically. Like, if any, it'll be, like, a very small amount to recompensate what I've already invested. Because I've already invested thousands of dollars into it for things. Do you know what I mean? Um, so, I don't really care about the money at this point. I just want to kind of create my concept and show people who do have money to invest in making a series, like, hey, this story will mean something to people, and people like it. Let's get it done. Because really, like, even though it's a really indulgent story, like it, it's a story about like trauma and basically like I would say the core theme of the story is about like trauma and um, like overcoming like not only personal trauma, but like community trauma, right. um, which is an important topic to me. And I think an important topic to lots of people in the modern era, considering everything we've been through as a generation. Um, Just yeah, put it lightly. Like, <laughs> right. And I also feel like trauma isn't really addressed a lot. Like, uh, what is the word? Um, honestly, in media, like, I feel like whenever, like, PTSD is represented or trauma is represented, it's very, like, like, I read a Wikipedia page and now I'm going to have my character looking out a window that's, like, raining and that's what depression is. Do you know what I mean? When in reality, like, trauma manifests in a lot of ways that maybe aren't shown in media. And I feel like that's something I really want to address in Nocturne, like, the, the path to healing sometimes goes backwards. The path to healing sometimes looks ugly. Um, that's really kind of the main, like, purpose, I guess, of the story because that's a topic that means something to me and I think it'll mean to a, a lot of people as well. 
Absolutely. You know? I mean, I can imagine, again, going back to the fact that how near and dear this project is to you or whatnot, being able to tell stories like that and being able for people to hopefully relate to that. Like, again, that must uh, – I think you basically said this, but it is not only important, it's vital for you to have that kind of thing in this in this concept. I mean, it, it – it, I again, like – words come back to me i had them and then i lost them <laughs> like the the fact that you've again invested so much into this and seeing how how dearly you want this thing to succeed in one aspect or another and how you want this story like that is so close to you like especially considering like everything that you've invested into it and everything you're going to invest into it for lord knows how long for as long as you can keep this thing running or whatnot like it, i i I both love and appreciate the fact that you are going as far in with this as possible and you're truly doing whatever you can to make this thing succeed because I am going to be right there with you, like rooting for you. Hopefully, hoping that you get this stuff because this is not only like, is this just a truly wholesome and unique, wholly unique story that I want to see out there, but like knowing the love and passion you got going into it, I know it's going to be a good series no matter what. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. I mean, like, I've really, like, I'm the kind of storyteller who really thinks a lot about, like, messaging. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people do, but, like, I, I mean, I do it in every aspect. Like, I do it in the visuals. I do it in the music. Like, I, I mean, I'm sure you saw in Heart of Gold how I was very, like, I, if you listen to the soundtrack, I was very meticulous with how I told the composer to construct that. Do you know what I mean? And that's how I am with this, too. Like, I'm trying to tell a story that reaches people, and, like, I guess I'm trying to provide, like, catharsis for lots of different people who've gone through difficult things. Like, mm -hmm. family trauma is a big topic in Nocturne. Um, generational trauma is a topic in Nocturne. Um, like, uh, this is dark, but, like, suicide issues with suicide right. is, is a topic. Um, so, like, and, like, these are topics that, again, I feel like are very – they're either brushed over, like, oh, don't say it, just imply it in media, or, like, they do, like, the textbook Wikipedia version of it. Do you know what I mean? Like, like for example, like, I'm not trashing Steven Universe, but I was really upset by that scene where they were like, Steven, you have PTSD. And they were kind of just giving him, like, a textbook, like, you know, like, diagnosis in, in a doctor's office. Like, that's really, like, what I don't appreciate in the media, because, like, PTSD and trauma is such an ugly and difficult thing that so many people don't even realize they're going through. Right. Do you know what I mean? Because we don't talk about it. We don't talk about it. We shove it under the table. Do you know what I mean? And if I can kind of show like these characters like going through these difficult things and then like coming through them better for it, not better for the trauma, but better for the healing. Yeah. That's I hope something people can relate to. You know? Absolutely. I mean, it's it's certainly a it, it may seem like a lofty goal to aspire for more than anything else, but I feel like I, I at least feel confident that with the storytelling you're able to implement, I think you could do a good job really translating that to a good audience. So I have to ask, like, let, let's say you do get the funding. Let's say you, you get this thing produced and, like, it's premiering tomorrow. Like, tomorrow's going to be the, the, the day we're going to see that pilot. What should people expect from Nocturne? Do you mean if I get the funding from the Kickstarter and stuff? I mean, like, again, like, let's say this thing is, like, done, ready to go, and, like, people are going to be watching that, like, going into that first episode, going into that pilot. What should people expect from Nocturne? Well, of course, like, I mean, if we're doing it the indie way, I hope everybody understands that, like, even though I am working very hard on the quality, like, it is still an indie production, right? right? right. So I think sometimes, like, people do have a really high standard for animation and don't understand that, like, I mean, it's not going to be fully animated. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 limited animation because that's what I'm able to do with the time and money that I have, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I would hope that people at least understand that. Like, I'm doing the best I can to make the highest quality thing with my means. Do you know what I mean? Um, 
But other than that, I would expect from the very first episode, like go in, it's adult, you know, there's swearing, there's there's gore. Um, it's not a comedy though. There's like funny moments, but it, I would say it's darker than funny. You right. know what I mean? Um, uh, music is a big part of it. Go in expecting some banging music because I'm working, I, I'm really lucky. I've been able to be in contact with some pretty good retrowave musicians who I've been listening to their playlist like for years while I've been working on this project. So oh, wow. I'm honored to have them on board. Yeah, like it, it's great. I'm really honored. Um, there's gonna be good music. Uh, expect, you know, uh, maybe some triggering content. I think maybe not everybody would be able to watch this if they're a little sensitive to gore or suicidal imagery. Um, because that is absolutely going to be a thing. Um, go in expecting some sassy lead characters who are bickering, but you know, uh, but I mean, just go in expecting a pilot, an indie pilot, me putting out this project that I, I hope lots of people will love. And hopefully if lots of people love it, then I can try to pitch it and get a whole show made. Do there you, know you mean? go. There you go. I, I think that's wonderfully worded and it, it, I wasn't already excited. I'm certainly on board right now. Um, plus, I will, I will say when it comes to the sassy characters, come on, let's be honest. Vesper is the ones that could be carrying most of that on, on his own. <laughs> I think pretty sassy. No, I mean, like, you know, the funny thing is when I showed the anime. So the thing is, so people generally, I would say the most popular character in Nocturne is Vesper. People really like Vesper, which mm-hmm. is fair. Like, honestly, I think he's the hook character. I think people see him. They're like, oh, who's that? And they want to see the show. But when people actually watch the animatic, they love Lexi. They're oh, like, yeah. Lexi's so good. Yeah, like the main character. That kind of makes me happy because, like, I was, I'll be honest with you, the biggest thing I've been worried about in regards to Nocturne is the fact that I decided to make Lexi, like, a big character. Like, she's she's fat. Do you mean? And um, I was very concerned because, you know, I have friends who have worked on series like High Guardian Spice who got a lot of backlash just for those characters being the way they are. Do yeah, you mean? Yeah. And I was kind of like, oh, God, like, if the wrong people see this, they're just going to, like, shit on it and say, like, oh, it's social justice bullshit or whatever. And I'm like, I'm just making characters that are interesting to me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I just, you know, like, fat goth girl is a very typical type of thing, especially, like, you know, like, I relate. I'm a fat goth girl. Do you know what I mean? I want to make characters that look like me and my friends, you okay, know? Yeah. Um, so, but surprisingly, not a lot of people, like, I don't think anybody's really said anything about it. Like, I've never had any negative comments on the characters of Nocturne. Everybody's very interested in them. And I was also worried about Lexi because, like, she is, like, kind of angsty. She's, like, kind of, you know, she can be a little sassy. She can be a little rude. And I, I think that, like, you get worried as a woman because, like, people can be so picky with the way you write. And especially, like, a female character. Like, have you ever seen people talk about female characters, like, in media they're like oh she did a bitchy thing so she's like a worst character ever and she's like a, you know like what the bad writing and no people like her though I, i'm really glad I, I guess maybe i was worried for nothing because yeah uh when i did the showing at uh the museum in australia she won the most popular character like pulled by a landslide oh, which wow. really surprised me <laughs> really su- i thought it was gonna be vesper it usually is vesper yeah yeah you know i mean, I mean but- don't don't get me wrong i'm not giving any disrespect to lexi i can certainly tell that you know sh- she can hold her own and she could definitely like Provide, like provide yeah, I, yeah. You said yourself, like Vesper was the hook more than anything else, but like Lexi, I guess, would be like the line in that case, the thing that's like really putting this thing together. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely think that's it. Like, I think. But I think people will come for Vesper because I think people really like his character design. I think people like, and he, that's his character too. Yeah. He's a charismatic character, like in the story as well. Like people are like drawn to Vesper. Like, um, so I'm not surprised that's the case. But yeah, I definitely think like. Lexi's kind of like she's the protagonist, right? So she's kind of like what grounds you to the world a yeah. little bit, you know? 
Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. But I know that I'm certainly excited to see, like, especially once again, like, I, I'll, I sound like a broken record at this point. But once again, like, knowing how much you've invested into this, knowing all the stuff that you've had, especially along the way, you know, getting to work in animation and, like, the stuff you've been able to produce on your own or whatnot, like, thinking back to everything you've had, you've been able to do, does it amaze you how far you've been able to come along on this art journey? Gosh, yeah. You know, honestly, like, it's it's really interesting. I don't know if other artists feel this way, uh, but I definitely have, like, on and off, like, imposter syndrome, mm. uh, where it's like, I, when I was doing that presentation in Australia at Acme, um, I actually was really anxious, like, the day before. Uh, I was with my boyfriend, like, crying, because I was like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to show people this. Like, it's, it's bad. It's ugly. I'm so embarrassed. Like, I don't want to show this to anyone. Do you know what I mean? Because... I am a little bit of a perfectionist, do you know what I mean? Like I, because I want my story to come off the way that I'm intending, I want to make sure that it, it it reads the way I want it to read. And so, you know, it's a work in progress. Some scenes are more done than others and I get worried. I'm like, is this, and then again, like even when it's finished, like I'm going to be so anxious, like, oh, I couldn't do it to the quality that I, I could at a studio because I don't have the time. And it's like that kind of thing, do you know what I mean? And so there are moments where it's like, I'm like, I'm an embarrassment and like, I, I, feel a little bit cringy for making this but then at other times i'm like really happy and proud because lots of people are supporting me from like all areas like my my last job at warner brothers they, they hired me because of my nocturne stuff as well the director oh, of my wow. show uh saw my nocturne stuff on twitter and was like i need her on my show do you know what I mean so like obviously i'm doing something right but there's this just like i guess like nervousness like this general nervousness because i put so much work into it and because like there's a lot of aspects of it that are personal to me it's like almost like putting my heart out there in a way do you know what I mean it's like here it is and if people like i mean i'm strong enough from like my harassment in my young days to like get over it but i won't I, i'll of course be heartbroken if i put it out there and people are like oh it sucks do you know what I mean but mm, it is what it is right like i'm i'm happy that i'm making it like i am very proud and happy like if 10 year old me saw what I was doing now, she'd cry. She'd yeah. weep. Like knowing the fact that like, you know, I'm so inspired by things like Full Metal Alchemist and Death Note. And now I'm making some whole anime pilot. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, anime just, I, some people say my art's not very animated. To me, it is. Like, <laughs> it is. I'm trying. I'm a white girl. I'm trying. Oh, <laughs> I'm trying. But yeah, like, I, I think I would be really happy. Like, I and I, like not even just for that, but like the fact that I was able to make a career in this industry that like kind of got me through hardships in my life, my whole life, like drawing kept me sane through very difficult parts of my life. And now like to be able to do the things that I'm doing now is like surreal in lots of ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's incredible knowing how far you've been able to come along, and especially like even thinking about how much you're investing and how much further you have to go with this stuff or whatnot. It just makes me amped more than anything else. In fact, how about for this next question, I give you more or less the promised land with this next one and give you more or less the dream scenario, if I may. Let's say I yeah. am big shot Mr. Moneybags. I get to come up to you and like, look, Amber, sure. we know you can do some incredible stuff. We know that uh, other people have told us we can see it with our own eyes that you can do something absolutely outstanding. We just, you just need a little extra push, a little bit of a, a motivation, if you say. We have access to anyone and everyone in whatever art industry possible and more money than it should be possible we should probably make sure that a lot of those people that got can get pensions and stuff like that but we'll focus yes. on that in a little bit yeah. right now yeah. right now we are focusing on you and you alone if given this opportunity what would be the dream amber avara project and why would it just be 20 seasons of a nocturne <laughs> okay so it would be nocturne nocturne definitely like i've got lots of stories that i've made and i've also got more that i will make in the future like right. i'm really corny i have like a whole like notebook that i've actually made into a document now on my computer uh, <laughs> but i've got like 30 like 
pitches that I've written down that I want to work on at some point. Do you okay. mean so like Nocturne's not the only it's not my magnum opus. It's 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 one that I'm really passionate about right now. Mm-hmm. Do you mean? And whether I finish it or not, it won't be my last story. Do you mean? You um, but that being said, I do think that this would be the one that I would make my dream project. And the reason why is because it has so many roots in what inspired me to become what I am today anyway, like the roots in like action and horror, do you know what I mean? Animate, like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, the roots in like personal things to me, like exploring trauma as a concept, do you know what I mean? Um, like the, that's the reason that it's important to me is that because there's a lot of aspects of it that are personal to my journey as a person as well, do you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, and actually the funny thing is though, I only have like in my pitch document, if I were to pitch Nocturne and get it funded, I only have three uh, seasons that I want. Okay. I don't want it to be one of those that goes on forever. Um, Fair, valid, I, valid. <laughs> yeah. If I had my way, I would want three seasons, 12 episodes each, but they would be about 45 minutes long. Okay, okay. Like live action formatting. Yeah. You know what? Fair enough. I mean, that's would be a good start. Hey, if nothing else, if we wanted to, I mean, to get all the, the pitches done or whatnot, we could just open Avara Animation Studios or something like I that. Know. <laughs> I was hoping one day I could. That is like, I, I don't know how realistic it is at this point in the industry we live in now, but that was one of the dreams I had like growing up. Like, oh, I want to make my own studio and maybe one day that can happen. But right now I feel like I still have a lot of learning to do. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. In fact, to, to kind of keep going with that point of the learning, sadly, we do got to get down from the dreams scenario we gotta get back to reality and i'll ask the ever so generic question where do you hope to see yourself say five to ten years from now mm, that's a really you know it's interesting that you asked that because I've, I've also been asking myself that oh um, okay because i mean initially like hmm, this is kind of a hard one to answer so I have always been a very career driven person um like ever since I was young like I always got really good grades in school um I did college and like not college like I I'm always the overachiever I'm always the person that's got, like multiple jobs and doing like side hustles like I'm just a workaholic it's just how I am I love making things um and I actually recently uh not recently we've been dating, me and my partner have been dating for a year and okay. I, I love him so much he's really my my soulmate really um and he kind of made me realize some things about my life that maybe I can slow down a little bit do you mean like I maybe in some ways I was overcompensating for things by working so hard and mm-hmm. that doesn't change but I, I do want to keep working hard but I have been asking myself recently like do because I if you asked me that before I was dating him I would I would probably say like I want to be a director I want to open my own studio I want to do you mean like la 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 I'd like have so many things to list for you right. but now I'm kind of like I do still want to do those things but I also want to spend time with my loved ones. I want to spend time with my partner. I want to spend time with my friends. I want to focus on my health. Um, I lost like 50 pounds in the last year. Um, So like I've really been focusing on things like outside of art. And I've never done that before in my life, actually. Like before, before I started dating him and working in the industry, like I, like every moment of my life was dedicated to art every moment like i didn't go hang out with my friends i it was just always making things and while i think that helped me grow a lot as an artist i realize now that i've slowed down that i think i'm becoming more well well well-rounded and a better artist by not doing that all the time do you mean so like i would still say i of course want to be a director i want to like do big things in this industry but i want to do it at a pace that's sustainable that lets me live my life do you mean Mm -hmm. um like, so if in five years I'm not a director, that's fine. I do want to be one eventually, but not sacrificing every waking hour of my life to do it, you know? Absolutely. I mean, that that's a good thing to aspire for and a good thing to, to try to strive for more than anything else. Like, just enjoying your, living your best life at the end of the day more than anything oh, yeah. else. That's what that's what anyone should aspire for. Um, 
As we start to wind down the interview, I just have one last question I want to ask you. Obviously, you've been deeply entrenched in art for as long as you can remember, more than anything else. Like, thinking back to whenever you were young, drawing the the Mario and the Sonic, helping the the Princess Peach and stuff. How important is art, not just for you, but for the world as a whole? I think it's more important than anything, honestly. Like, that is, like, kind of funny that you say that, because I feel like... Like, again, like I've been through a lot of difficult things in my life. Like my family had a lot of problems and like we were homeless at one point and we went through a lot of difficult things, like things that I think a lot of other people would crumble under. Right. Um, and I feel like art kept me alive. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like it gave me hope for a better future, um, probably through escapism, honestly. But like just like having something to focus on that, like. Like, like in the beginning when I was a kid, of course, like using my imagination to escape difficult scenarios. But like as I got older, realizing like there's a community of people that will understand me. There's a community of artists. I can make money doing this if I work hard enough, like and I can live a better life. And now I am living a better life than I've ever lived in my life. Do you mean um, I, and I, even if you don't do it professionally, like even if you don't do it professionally, just like having the ability to like tell stories and create things that like come from you and like bring you peace in your heart and like speak the words you want to speak but maybe can't speak out loud do you mean i i don't know i think it's healing honestly like i one of my other like side goals i don't know if i'll ever achieve this but i do have a dream that maybe one day i can teach like art classes for like poor communities like like low-income communities so i can teach like kids who are going through similar situations as to what i did like how to use art as a coping tool do you know what i mean um and how to use it to express themselves because I think it's invaluable. It saved my life, honestly. I, I think, like, it, it saved my life so many times, not just in my childhood, but, like, Nocturne saved my life, right? Like, getting me through a hard time. And, like, every, I, I feel like it's so enmeshed into who I am. I can't imagine a world without it. So I think if people even had, like, half of a relationship with art the way that I had it, like, everybody would be a lot happier. <laughs> you know what I mean? I could not agree with you more because I think that is wonderfully worded, if I do say so myself. Um, I'm glad you think so. <laughs> Amber, that's all the questions that I have for you. Um, I've already showered you with a whole bunch of praise, but I want to share you with a little bit more because it's my podcast. I do whatever the fuck I want. Um, <laughs> look, Amber, like I said, ever since I've only gotten to know you for a few months with uh, you know, everything that, that went on with Heart or Gold or whatnot and truly getting to indulge myself with your art, the instant I saw something about Nocturne, I knew I had to have you on the podcast. I was specifically waiting around this time for Halloween because I figured you know, the horror aspect of whatnot, but I knew I wanted <laughs> I knew I wanted to have you on the podcast at some point, just seeing how stunning your art is and how incredible of a concept you have brewing up. But getting the chance to actually sit down and talk with you, get to truly know you, know your story, like get to hear some of the stuff that you've gone through, the the both hardships and the triumphs more than anything else. Like if I didn't already have a true love and appreciation for what you're doing, I, I strongly do now. And I cannot tell you how excited i am not just for what you're currently working on but what you could be working on afterwards i know you have some incredible stuff like ready to go i know you have so much creativity and so much uh incredible storytelling that needs to be out there more than anything else and i i know you're the right person to do it because i can tell just from our conversations there's a lot of love and passion for everything that you do it just makes me excited at the end of the day so the last <laughs> so the long and the short of it more than anything else all i just want to say is thank you for what you do thank you for putting your heart out there for the people to see and so many different aspects and again whatever you do next i'm gonna be rooting for you like more than anything else i'm excited so. well i'll hopefully be you know just look out for all the things that i'll be doing it won't be anytime immediately soon but like probably around january is when i'll start doing the the 
launching for the Kickstarter. So that's all I can ask for is if everybody wants to support it, just support it if you believe in it. And if you don't, that's okay too. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's how it is. If you don't believe now, I'll just keep working. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, if you want to make sure that people do believe believe in you now, especially whenever you do decide to launch this Kickstarter stuff like that, go ahead and plug yourself for the people at home. Sure. Uh, yeah, I am pretty much Ambatty everywhere, and it's spelled A M B A T T I I, and that's Twitter. I think that's YouTube as well, uh, TikTok. But my TikTok's not really art focused right now. It's like fashion because I do fashion on the side. Hey, there you um, go. Uh, but yeah, that's basically. I, I would say I'm most active on Twitter, and yeah, that's just basically for me. There you go. <laughs> and if nothing else, if you want to see even you know a fingerprint of you know Amber's work again, you know go get AMC Plus and uh, watch Pantheon. So there you go. Please do. It's really good. Oh, like, honestly, like, <laughs> ignore the fact that I'm even a part of it. Just go watch it. It's good. Like, <laughs> exactly. it's amazing. Like, screw me. I don't care. It's a good show. <laughs> I must note this podcast is not sponsored by AMC+. Plus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. Do you have any final words before we sign off? Um... I mean, I just hope that other people who want to make stuff make it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, it's a really hard road, and I do sometimes sound negative when I talk about, like, capitalism and indie animation and stuff. But if your heart has a story to tell, I hope you keep telling it. Because even if nothing ever happens, like, it's healing. You know what I mean? Like I said, Nocturne saved my life. So even if nothing happens with it, like, it brought so much joy and happiness to me. And it was worth it for that you know absolutely that those are wonderful words to end on and with that all i have left to say is for the people at home hasta luego mi amigos Thank you so much for sticking around to the end. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, I sincerely hope you enjoyed. Amber was truly a fun guest to have. The The amount of information, the amount of conversation that she wanted to have. Oh, it was just, it was just chef's kiss. <laughs> no, I, I genuinely did enjoy the conversation. I was especially glad to talk about Nocturne with her. But I... Did not expect to go in depth about indie animation and like producing indie animation as much as we did. That was something that I like going into this conversation was not what I was anticipating. But I'm glad that we had that conversation, honestly. Yeah, I I, I try to have a positive outlook when it comes to what you guys do and what you guys are able to produce. I mean, genuinely, like you guys are doing some incredible stuff out there, and I, I genuinely want to see everyone succeed. But, you know, it doesn't hurt to have more or less a realistic outlook when it comes to animation and such, you know, especially independent animation. I mean, looking at the history of animation as a whole and like what's been able to, what uh, what has been produced, what has been done, how runs have gone or whatnot, how things have come and gone, how things have been canceled unexpectedly or whatnot, like the entertainment field in general is just a minefield of trying to make your dreams happen. <laughs> and I mean, that's the reality of the situation. And like, it's especially harder with animation and it's infinitely harder with independent animation, but that should not discourage you guys. 
what it should do, and again, this is coming from someone that is a major outsider when it comes to animation, so take what I say with the biggest fucking grain of salt ever. But what you guys should be doing is pursuing the vision that you want while also keeping an eye on potential opportunities that may not have been present before, you know, or potential ideas or potential formatting or stuff that has not been really considered before. You know, it seems like every week there's always something new popping up or something different that could either be setting a trend or, you know, just just all sorts of different stuff. I mean, social media has changed how people are able to view stuff. The internet, uh, streaming, all this different kind of stuff. And it's changed it for both the better and for worse. Better because there's more opportunities, but worse because there's not that many long-lasting opportunities. I... I want to be one of the people that, if I can, I want each and every single person that has something absolutely outstanding to succeed. But I am also only one person. You know, at the end of the day, if you guys want something done, do everything in your power to get it done. It may not be, you know, how you initially envision it, for all you know. It, it could change 20 million different ways, from when you start to what you get to. There are so many different ways that it could it could develop, it could turn out, but at the end of the day, the thing that should drive you to be creative is not whether or not it will succeed. The thing that should drive you creatively is not whether or not you'll turn a profit. The thing that should cry, that, bleh, God, I'm so tongue tied. The thing that should drive you creatively is being happy and fulfilled with your creative vision being brought to life, no matter how that may be. The long and the short of it, and kind of more or less the last word on this subject is, I want you guys to keep pushing, and I want you guys to keep striving. I want you guys to find a way to break the mold somehow when it comes to independent animation. Produce something out there, make it absolutely incredible, and change how people view animation if possible. If nothing else, just push stuff out there that you guys love. You guys deserve to to see your creative vision and everything be brought to fruition, one way or another. I will certainly believe in you guys, and I will try everything in my power, in my limited power, to to help you guys out, to really get you to that point, because you guys deserve it. Just keep pushing. <laughs>